Are you an ambitious Christian man? Do you want to step it up in every area of life, but you don't want to compromise and do it the world's way? You know you're called to another standard and you don't want to compromise your biblical values and your spiritual principles. If that's you, you're going to want to listen to today's episode where I'm joined by my new friend, Jonathan Ketrell, who's also the author of a brand new book titled Do Nothing. And this book is revolutionary. Guys, it hits on a lot of the themes we've been talking about on this podcast about how do we, as ambitious Christian businessmen, walk out our calling, expand our influence, but at the same time, do it God's way, not working in our own self-will, self-dependence, and selfish ambition. In this conversation, we break down so many valuable points and principles for you to apply to your life today. We get into practical strategies. Jonathan shares pages out of his playbook as to how he structures his life, the questions he asks himself, and how he assesses the seasons that he's stepping into as he walks out this journey of resting with God, but also running to go after those things that he's called to accomplish. Guys, you're not going to want to miss today's show. Let's get into it. You are listening to Raising the Standard, leadership, mindset, and development for the kingdom man. If you've ever wondered, how can I be the man God created me to be? Or maybe you asked yourself, what purpose does God have for my life? If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. My goal is simple, to help you access the unfair advantage all Christian men have and give you actionable strategies to reach your full potential. My name is Josh Kachadorian. I am a best-selling author, husband, father, disciple, and son of Jesus Christ. If you're ready to get off the sidelines, upgrade into your identity as a kingdom man, and take the territory that God has for you, then it's time to raise the standard. Jonathan, what's up, brother? Welcome to Raising the Standard. So excited to have you on today. Thanks so much, Josh. I'm really pumped to be here. Yeah, man. I think... Uh, Let's do this. I want to tell the audience about how I met you because um, we're in some similar groups together. We have a couple of common interests yes. and people in common. And I saw a post from you recently. You popped up in my feed that you wrote this book called Do Nothing. By the way, I think it looks awesome as well. Not only is it a good book, the the oh, cover really got me. It's It's an awesome title. It's prolific. And we're really going to get into that today. Uh, but that's how I found you, and um, that's why we're here today. So you're the author of Do Nothing, and we're going to really break down that message of Jesus where he tells his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. But before we jump right into that, um, knowing this audience that we got a bunch of ambitious Christian businessmen, these are kingdom-driven men that listen to the show. They're concerned about growth in every area of their life. They're they're development-minded, and that's that's your background as well, right? You're a business guy, and I'd like to hear a little bit more about your your background, your history, and then we'll talk about how this book came into being. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I am a serial starter entrepreneur. I prefer that term starter because it touches you know so many different areas. Um, really, ever since I got this book when I was 11 years old, my uh, grandma bought it for me called Better Than a Lemonade Stand, 51 Business Ideas for Kids. And it was game over for me then. And so started my career in digital marketing and then really got into the software and, and more product uh, development side. I uh, started a company that grew on the backs of Twitter. I sold that company to a, another company called Mashable. Worked at uh, you know some global companies like GoDaddy, 
and have really been in the startup um, space over the last uh, eight years, especially um, uh, just doing that. Well, actually, no, I guess at this point, probably about 10 years now. And and ultimately for me, it's um, I, I'm a people driven person. So really, you know, try and, and go about business in, in that way. But um, yeah, that entrepreneur startup culture, software, marketing, business, all of it, that's that's the background. And that's where the perspective um, that I'm coming with uh, comes from. Wow, that's pretty awesome, man. I didn't know all that about you. I knew you were a starter. I, I saw a little bit of your background, but you've had some successful exits. So some pretty big stuff. So Jonathan, I didn't realize, man, that's some high level business stuff you've been involved in. You've had some successful exits and you've really, you've been to the top when it comes to building companies, scaling and then selling them. Um, that's, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty interesting. And, um, I'm sure you got a lot of experience as you went through that. So you're, you're obviously you're driven. Can I ask you when you started those companies, did you have the intent to sell? Did you know you were starting this and you were just like going to keep moving on to the next thing? You know, I think, you know, especially as you start your first business, you're not exactly sure, like what's the outcome going to be. You don't have necessarily have that full game plan. I think now having started uh, a few different companies, you have a little bit more of that foresight and plan and what is the ultimate, you know, quote unquote exit strategy. I think that in the first few, I, I didn't necessarily have uh, that um, mapped out as a trajectory, um, but ultimately that's, that's where it came to. Uh, now, I think really knowing my nature, my identity truly as a starter, one of the things that that affords me the opportunity to do is to really design for and recognize, you know what, I'm not going to be the guy that's here 10 years from now. So how do we build and design and develop this in such a way that there is um, someone or a team of people to give that torch to and to pass it to, to either continue it on or perhaps you're exiting and, and actually you know, exiting the business entirely. All right. So I'm fascinated by your personality type, but also because of your faith. You know, so we've had a conversation prior to recording this and I know you're a deep guy. You know, your book is amazing. It's got some deep spiritual truths. It's not superficial in any means. It's not the, you know, just a self-help, self-development message. There's some deep stuff in there. You can see the roots that you have, the foundation you have, and you got, you got some deep spirituality. And at the same time, you're a business guy that's building, scaling, selling, and you're moving on to the next thing. So talk to me about how you reconcile that, because I think that's a little <laughs> bit of an internal war that Christian guys yeah. go through because they feel like, hey, I'm supposed to rest. I'm supposed to slow down um, or whatever they think from their particular stream of Christianity. And then it's like, hey, we leave for work Monday morning and I'm thrust into the arena and it's it's like war, right? I'm doing battle. I got to watch my back. There's competitive stuff going on. I got to sell. I'm against sharks. And there's this fight that we're in the world system as we're building so tell me how you reconcile and have those two streams. How's that work out for you? <laughs> well, I think war is a good word for that. And reconciliation is definitely what's needed because uh, as much as then we can you know, live and, and come from these places that are spiritual, I think it's very easy still and from that spiritual background and foundation to let the messages of the world and culture and even our own selves 
uh, seep in and really try and push us to do things that aren't necessarily the things that perhaps um, is best. Uh, and and I, I really operate under this principle, especially spiritually, that, you know, it's very easy to say, well, it's good and, and maybe something is is good and God does use it. But God uses everything. That's just his nature. He's a God who redeems, uses, restores, etc. So good for me is not enough when there is truly like an ideal and a best. And, and I think that's the pursuit. The pursuit is what is God's best? And if I'm being honest, the stuff that just starts with me and starts with culture and starts with those mantras is never going to measure up to, you know, what you talk about as a standard, as a standard of Christ, as um, that ultimate uh, goal that he has. And, and so I think that's always the question I'm wrestling with is, hey, is this just good or is this something that's truly the Lord's best? And, and um, you know, I, I break down a little bit more in the book about some of those questions that I think are, are worth it asking in that regard. Um, there's a mathematician, John Tukey, he said, uh, an approximate answer to the right question is worth a great deal more than a precise answer to the wrong question. So I think we have to say, what are the questions we're asking ourselves? Yeah, well, that's profound. I love it. Okay, listen, we're, we're taking this discussion right into the topic of do nothing. So let's, let's jump into this book. I, I got a copy of it. I'm halfway through or maybe a little bit over halfway through. So I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I'll just tell you and I'll, I'll tell the audience right now what I love about the book and what I love about Jonathan is right away as I saw the quotes you were using and some of the other books and references. I mean, I saw a lot of my favorite authors being used in this. So I'm like, man, this guy and me, we're going to get along. So that's why I've been excited about this conversation. But you quote Brother Lawrence, you're quoting Tozer. You talk, you know, we both we both love Watchman Nee. We both have an influence our li in our life, Frank Viola. You even referenced, you know, his book, Jesus Speaks, which was, uh, you know, really profound for me. I had a great experience reading that book and it's some great spiritual experiences as I was reading that book. And then in addition to that, I love the verse references you use. So I, I'm, I guess I'm teeing this up. I want you to just start to go into... What is this concept of do nothing? Because on the front cover, I think it's hustle harder, try harder, like crossed out, right? So walk me through like the front cover and really what this message is, because it, it's prolific and I can't wait to hear more about it and share it with the audience. Uh, thanks so much. Well, you know, you, you were asking about that nature um, and, you know, talking about those messages too, right? I mean, we hear in the entrepreneur startup business community hustle try harder, earn it, work for it. Like there, these are all things that are common out there. What's not common is, are the messages that, you know, people like yourself are sharing rise and rest. Well, what's it really mean to rest? Um, and I think as we wrestle with the words of Jesus and him saying kind of in this farewell discourse to his disciples before he's crucified, he's walking through a vineyard and he says, Hey, you're like branches. And you can't do anything. Like literally, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that is a really big statement. And it's something that I don't think we wrestle with enough. Or it's something that we might on the surface 
say we intellectually agree with, but really at the heart level and um, in our life, uh, we're not living by that principle. And so I think we have to come to terms with that and say, well, what's it mean? What can I do? So based on that question, what can I do? And then, you know, I ask there are really about five core questions throughout the book. Um, the, the second question is, how do I do nothing? Like if, you know, I can do nothing apart from it. Well, what's that look like? And Hebrews 4.11, it talks about, um, you know, strive to enter that rest. I love that. I think that's the best uh, picture in scripture, uh, a word dichotomy of like work to not work, strive to rest. This is just such a juxtaposition. And I think it's because our very nature as humans, as people and living in this world is to do something. It's to strive. It's to work at it. It's to hustle. That's the natural inclination. And so I think we have to really um, work to not work and work to really rest in um, the life of Jesus Christ. Um, and then the, the third question is, what is Jesus doing? It's not what would Jesus do? It's not just this cultural question saying um, we have to figure out intellectually what is it that um, he would do in such a circumstance. No, I, I think we have this indwelling life of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And so we can discern. And Jesus, actually, he said even he could do nothing except that which he saw his father doing. And so this is a great, it's not just like we're supposed to do nothing apart from Christ alone. It's that he could do nothing apart from his father's life and what he saw his father doing. And so he modeled for us, again, as the standard to, to discern what it is that he's doing. The fourth question is, how do I work with Jesus? And, you know, there's an interesting phrase. We talk a lot in business culture, like who do we work with? Who are our coworkers or colleagues? Well, actually, we're called co-workers with God. And I love that phrase. Like, so, you know, Ephesians 2.10 talks about, um, you know, that he's created good works for us to walk in. And we're ultimately we're getting to do that as co-workers with him, not just these, uh, you know, minions, as, as it were, but really partners with God. And then the last question is, you know, what is God's plan for me? And if we really, truly trust what scripture says, and in Philippians 1, 6 in particular, it says that um, he who began a good work in us would be faithful to complete it. And, you know, we're so concerned about what is it that we're going to do to finish, to complete. And I think when we're truly rising and resting, when we're living by his life, we're trusting that he is going to be faithful. And that is just such an assurance. I don't know about you, but that that gets me pumped up. And it really, if we just enter into that, I believe that is a, a true place and opportunity of rest mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in all these different areas. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So I, I need to dive into this a little bit deeper. And I got to ask you, um, we can know this, right? We can know it theologically. We can know it doctrinally. Yes. Um, I'm assuming there's going to be listeners that, you know, it's not like they've never heard these verses before. <laughs> the question for right. me, and I want to make it really real, and I, I actually want to 
you know, learn a little bit more about your origin story of when did you, were you always like this or did you go from striving at certain parts of your career, your oh, business yeah. life, just <laughs> life in general? And did you make the switch? Because Jonathan, how do we take it from, okay, like I know the Bible, I, I understand that. Um, but Hey, now I got to go to work. Now I got to go over here. Yeah. And <laughs> what's that really mean? Like, how do I merge that together? So if you yeah. could first tell me about like, for you, what was your origin of when you started to make a shift from striving to resting? Thank you. Um, because yeah, I, I have been a Christian and a follower of Jesus for most of my life. I grew up in a Christian home. I had parents who really modeled um, the love and life of Jesus um, for me. However, um, as you said, as much as we can grasp that intellectually, it's like, when's that made real? And it's not to say that the grace of God wasn't real in my life uh, before that started to make itself more manifest. But you mentioned Watchman Nee, and I think um, he, in one of my favorite books, or a book that really had a, a significant impact on me, um, he mentions brokenness being something that's either sudden and then long, or something that's drawn out and then sudden. And so I think in my experience, probably, I, I think at this point now, it's um, about s six years ago or so that I got broken. And I had a very sudden, just incredibly difficult uh, stretch. And it was just like everything was caving in. I affectionately refer to that period of my life as the suck. And I think that the suck comes for us all. Like there's going to be a storm that eventually comes and it just, it really bulldozes us. And so that was my experience. And I think in that moment though, of, of real brokenness and chaos and all these other things, I was able to pray and say, Lord, I don't want you to waste any drop of this in my life. And, um, the Lord answers those prayers and he didn't waste it. Um, he really used it and, uh, it was hard, but also I just felt so drawn near. Um, I just felt his presence so thickly in my life and, um, and I don't want to do things the same, you know, after that, but to your question, I will say this. I don't think it's like I've arrived at any point. I think that was a significant moment I can look back at, but it's also something that I think is a daily requirement, a daily reminder of saying, okay, Lord, today and in this moment, I can't do it without you. And that's really the daily practice. Yeah. Wow. You brought up this issue of brokenness. You know, um, for anyone listening, that's a little bit, you know, this is not a message we hear in popular Christianity right now, right? There's really not a predominant message of the cross in our life or of brokenness, depending on what stream of Christianity you come out of. So for, for the guys listening, I just want to point you to episode 26. I did an episode called God breaks the man before he makes the man. And we see this concept of brokenness before God uses anyone or actually anything, he breaks it. 
And there's a lot of reasons why, because of this issue we're talking about of self-reliance, self-dependence, wanting to do everything out of our agency and willing things to happen. So I love that concept. Um, let me go just a little bit further with it because, man, I did a study on brokenness. And if you just look up the words, you know, lowly, contrite spirit, humble spirit, I'll just give a secret to everyone listening. Like if you want to know what attracts God in your life, that's it. Like he's attracted to the lowly, he's attracted to the broken, he's attracted to the contrite. So we're talking about humbling yourself and really exercising humility and ultimately saying, you know, the theme of your book, Jonathan, is like, hey, I, I don't want to go without you, God. Like, you know, you actually quote Moses where he even says that. He's like, I don't want to go with, unless you're going with me. So I think that should be all of our prayer with, with what we endeavor to do. And as we're being led and, and doing our best to follow where he's leading us. Amen. You know, I think even what you just said right there, Josh, if I put it as poverty of spirit, you know, and I think it's one of the most um, important things we can maintain in our walk with the Lord is the idea that I need, I have need, I cannot without him. And um, that's a hard place. And like you said, it's not a popular message. Um, but also I don't think it looks when we hear those things, I think we can think in our mind what that might look like. And I don't think it is exactly what it looks like in our mind when we think, oh, poverty of spirit. But if we're maintaining that humility, um, man, that's where the Lord comes in and really, um, loves to work in those, in those places. Okay, so we got a key here. We got a key of brokenness to to humble ourselves and to really just kind of let go, right? And say, hey, I can't do it on my own. And maybe I'm pushing too hard. And I think I think that's the trap a lot of men get into, Jonathan, is like we push, we push, we build, we feel this pressure. And hey, listen, I mean, in the current year that we're in, it's a lot different than first century Christianity. Right, we have more distractions. We have more responsibilities. At least I think we do. Um, life's moving at a really quick pace. So, do you think, you know, what are what are some of those challenges, and how do we navigate some of these challenges compared to, you know, the disciples that were following Jesus? It is a little bit of a different culture that we find ourselves in today. What kind of challenges does that bring? And how do we navigate? Ooh, gosh, <laughs> so many challenges. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think we could talk endlessly about the challenges and the things and the voices and the mantras and um, the pursuits that are competing with this life of rest. Um, and one thing that is important to me, and you'll uh, understand because similarly on your side, as much as it's nice to look for like the formula, the system. I'm all about systems, especially in a business context. I love them, but I don't think in spiritual principles that the Lord operates by prescription. He operates by principles. And so the question is like, how do you, how does my brother, how does my sister learn how to peacefully rest better discern and calmly walk forward in that completed work of Jesus. And I think that it's going to look a little bit different for everyone. Everyone's challenge is going to be a little bit different. Um, but I think as we ask, 
you know, I, I think we have a true living relationship with the Lord. And the opportunity is for us to even ask him, what is it that you would say, Lord, is that next step? Not the next hundred steps, but what's that very next thing? Because he's so good about putting his finger on just that one little thing. And it might be that you just hear a quiet, um, you know, word. It, it might be just a, seem like a thought that comes to your mind. Um, you mentioned Jesus Speaks. And one of the things that I loved uh, in that book, I think um, it was a quote from that book where it said that one of the number one reasons why people don't hear God talking to them is because they already know the answer. And I love that. It's, you know what, a lot of times we've already been given wisdom and this opportunity and we have a knowledge from that Holy Spirit to, to say, I know what that next thing is. So it doesn't have to be a burning bush or a talking donkey. It can very much just be that next thing that you know that the Lord is putting his finger on to say, what's it mean to look forward and, and to overcome that next challenge so that I can just live in his rest? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the the scripture that's coming to my mind as you're saying this is, <clears throat> you know, David says the the word is a lamp unto his feet. You know, he he has enough to see the next step. That's what he needs. You don't get a spotlight for the whole journey to see the destination. But I think the broader theme that we're getting at there is it's this life of dependence, right? It's a real relationship. And it's not like, okay, I have it. Now I'm going to run. And hey, the issue is, as men, we want to run. We want to run. Like, let me go. And we want to do the whole thing from A to Z. Um, you know, I told this story. It's a very, like, obscure story. In, um might be in Samuel, but it's about David's life. And um, there's this story, I believe it's after Absalom dies. There's a servant that shows up and says, hey, where can I go? What can I do? I, I want to go. And they're like, we don't have anything for you to do. He's like, no, but I want to run. I want to run. And like, he just runs with no destination at all. I'm yeah. like, man, that's like present day manhood. <laughs> right. Like, we just want to go. <laughs> I love that. Well, one of the things that, you know, that you're talking about too, like challenges and I think a lot of people will probably look at the book cover and be like, Oh, do nothing. That book's not for me. Like, I don't want to do it, do nothing, but the book's not about doing nothing, right? It's about living in a state of doing by the life and work of Jesus and, and really um, just stepping into again, the work that he will have us do. It's not to say that there's no work to be done. Of course there is. It's just, where does that work originate? Where does it initiate? Where is it that we're living and operating by? What's our power source? Is it just me and my own drive and my own hustle and my own ideas? Because I know that those ultimately are not going to pan out as well, again, as that ideal, as that standard that the Lord has for us. So doing nothing is not about sitting on your tail, waiting for an answer to everything. That's immaturity. That's not maturity. God's given us scripture and counsel and wisdom and instincts and all these uh, factors to consider in our life. And it's really like you just said, what's that next step? And uh, living in that state of the next step, not, not necessarily even a hundred steps down the road. So <clears throat> what's this? So what's this look like in terms of, you know, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of choices that we we can make every day. And there's a lot of concepts of how people build. You know, there's some guys that just start doing what they want to do. And then the prayer is an afterthought. Lord, bless, please bless what I'm doing. We ask your blessing on this. You know, there's other people that, that I've seen this other concept of, hey, I'm the CEO of my life. And, you know, Jesus is on my board. He gets a vote in what I do. And it's kind of like, hey, I'm going to check with him before I do it, but I'm still kind of driving the the, the ship here. Um, what's it look like for you? I mean, you can comment on those or, or kind of what you think it should be. But I think a lot of times we just go with what we want to do if we're not living in that secret place. If we don't have a deeper faith and a deeper spirituality, we end up just doing what we want or what we feel is right. And then we we ask the Lord to bless it as an afterthought. And then it may not turn out the way we want. Yeah. Well, I am by no means perfect. <laughs> I think that the Lord has been gracious enough to use all sorts of my own uh, failures and mess ups. And again, I think that's the very nature of God. He's a God who redeems and restores and reconciles. And he makes use of even the biggest waste in our lives. And that's who he is. But I don't want to then just use that as the excuse. You know, when Paul writes, um, you know, may I sin then so that grace may increase. Like, may I think just another way of saying that is like, well, should I keep doing this same old thing because, God's grace is enough. No, may it never be. I don't want to live like that. And so I think for me, what it looks like in my life, um, there are a few things I talk about even in the book. One such example is just even just considering prayerfully uh, on a regular basis, what's this next season look like? And so, you know, I do that on a yearly basis for sure. I pray and I just ask for a word to really focus. What's this next season I'm entering into? Um, on a every three month basis, I have on my calendar um, just to consider what is it I need to start doing that I'm not doing? What do I need to keep doing that I'm already doing? What do I need to stop doing? And I think those are, you know, types of questions that we're not necessarily always considering, but when we really do prayerfully, restfully consider those types of questions, when we're inviting the Lord into um, our planning and into our daily experience of life, that he shows up. And if the fact is he's never gone anywhere, we're just too busy worrying about and listening to other voices and presences in our life rather than saying God's right here with me and he is inviting me to do the work with him whereas oftentimes we're doing the work and trying to drag him along with us and I want to be a follower of Jesus that's truly following him rather than being in the lead and asking him to follow me yeah, I love that. And I love the concept of the start, stop, continue for your spiritual life. Um, tell me more about what that looks like for you. Now, we understand we're not making a formula out of anything. You know, we can't just say, hey, here's the three step process, do this, and it always works. It's a fail safe. But what, so we're going to, you know, we're giving that disclaimer. Um, but what's it look like for, I guess the question I have is this 
for you, Jonathan, is it always a clear word? Or sometimes do you feel like it's a leading, like I'm going this direction? So if I have a choice in front of me, it's like go endure A or go endure B, like start this venture or become an employee at this company or whatever that choice might be that our listeners are facing, that we face all the time. Is it you feel led? Do you look for open doors? Um, do you look for a clear word? Do you look for confirmation? Um, tell me a little bit more about that process for you. That's a great question. I I can say a couple things about it. One is that, and I share some of the stories um, in, in the book, but I'll share one in particular that uh, comes to mind and was pretty profound uh, for me. And I'm not sure I actually talk about this at full length in the book, but I was running a business already with some business partners uh, a number of years ago. This was, um, I think at the time, so about nine years ago. And I, uh, we had been operating for about three years. I had some good partners and we were really getting some decent traction. And I wasn't happy. I wasn't experiencing life there. Now, I wouldn't have put it in those terms right at, right at that time, but I was out for coffee with a brother um, and he said, if there's not life in it, I'm uninterested in being involved. And the words, as he said it, they just hung there in the air. It's like there was a highlighter from heaven that just highlighted that word life for me. And I realized, man, you know what? I'm not experiencing life in this place, in my work. And I don't think that's what the Lord would want. And then right then, I just sense this real leading of like the Lord kind of inviting me to step out of the boat. And if we think about scripture and we think about that picture of like a boat, I I was thinking to myself, almost like conversing with myself, but really with the Lord, just like, there's not another boat to get into, but okay. I just have to trust you. There were a couple other things that happened, but I really just felt this like strong leading it, but it was paired because I was with someone else. He spoke a word. There was already a feeling that was going on within me. And then there was some prayer. So that's one example, but there's sometimes it's just like, Hey, this seems like the next best thing. It's not um, to say that, that I can't invite the Lord into that, but sometimes he is silent because he trusts us. And I think that's often times not a thing that's talked about, but if we really are passionate about following the Lord, not only do we trust the Lord, but he also looks back at us and says, I trust you. That's what we do as fathers, right? We eventually start asking our kids the same question they're asking us, they say, dad, what should I do? And we say, what do you think you should do? What is your instinct telling you? Because to raise someone who's maturing isn't to then make all the choices for them. It's actually to raise them in such a way that they can make the right choices for themselves. And the Lord is doing the same with us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What would you say, and I guess the question for you would be, have you ever been in a place where you didn't like it, but you knew it wasn't God's will for you to leave because he was still doing something in his process in your life there? Because I could see both sides of the coin on this where 
You know, yes. I've been in some areas that I did <laughs> not like. And if you ask me if I'm getting life from it, I probably would say no. However, looking back, I could see what the Lord was doing because there was tests and there was a processing time in my life there. Um, so what's the safeguard not to just trust our feelings or trust, you know, something that we're trying to always run to, which causes us to run away from something that the Lord wants us to go through. Mm, I appreciate that question a lot, man. That is totally true. And I share actually perhaps my favorite story in the whole book, um, uh, talks about a time in my life where I was really getting antsy. I wasn't enjoying my work at all. All these other areas of my life were really at rest and the Lord was just working so mightily. But in my work, I, I really actually, probably for the first time in my entire life, I, I did, I hated, I'll say I hated what I was doing. And I felt like, okay, this is it. I just have to move on. And, um, I, I prayed just for you know, wisdom about that next step. And I had a dream. And uh, I don't know how everyone listening feels about dreams, but it was very significant. And it felt like a very direct answer um, to me that the Lord was saying, no, it's not time. It's not time for you to move on. And frankly, I have something better for you if you wait. And so I think there are those times where, man, my will, my nature to do something as a doer is I want to get ahead of the Lord and just keep moving. But sometimes he's just saying, wait. And frankly, it's easy to not wait or quiet ourselves long enough to let him speak into those places. And that is a real discipline. Um, I think over time that uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the Lord's voice and um, invitation to me to, to really stop, slow down and wait as much as that's not my cup of tea. Yeah, I love it. I think the key here, Jonathan, is that we have to be in close proximity to Jesus, right? We have to be walking with him. Um, if we really want to hear from him, if we really want this lifestyle that you're explaining, and if we're following the way of Jesus, then we have to be walking with him. We can't just, you know, you can't approach this casually. You never spend time with the Lord. Um, and you're just like, hey, I don't think there's life in this anymore. I'm going to move on. You're at that point, you move back into your self-will again, into what you want for yourself versus did the Lord tell you that or did he lead you that way? So I think I want to throw that out there as the safeguard because everything comes back to, um, you know, like he gives us the desires of our heart if our heart is is right with him, <laughs> right? So that's, that's, a, that's a common, that's the denominator we have to have first before we just trust our desires or we just follow um, whatever that fleeting thing might be in front of us. And so true. There's a story that's coming to mind that was so powerful to me uh, when I read it in one of Watchman Nee's books. And he was talking about a woman in particular who was a real mentor and influence in his own life in China. And this is in the early 1900s. And she was praying. She felt like the Lord was saying something to her. And she, she wasn't too happy about it. I'm not sure what all the specifics were. 
but uh, he heard her pray, um, Lord, I'm basically, I'm really not happy about this. I, I don't want to do it, but don't bend to my will. Just wait. Like, I know this is best and that ultimately you're going to lead me into that place of, of really trusting in. I just love that faith. I love that obedience to say, Lord, you know what's best for me. And not only what's best for me, but like, you know, the innermost desires of my heart. And when we are truly following him, he wants to grant us those desires of our hearts. But our hearts become truly like one, the, the want and the will and the desire, even when it's difficult. And so that is uh, something that, though, you can't just say we understand intellectually. I think it really takes those experiences where we're forged in the fire and then we can just see and look back and testify again of the Lord's completing finishing work and that he who is faithful um, to uh, begin the work will be faithful to complete it. Awesome. Tell me more about ambition because you tackle this in your book, right? And you, you point out something that's really, uh, was really key for me. Everywhere you saw the word ambition in a negative sense, it was usually associated with selfishness. Um, if you could just, you know, expound on that a little bit for me now, because we hear this word. And at the same time, I even opened up the show by saying this show is for ambitious Christian businessmen. So I personally don't think ambition's all bad, but I want to get your take on what's the role of ambition with the message of apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, I love that uh, question. Yeah, I, I think I actually, one of my first, I know you're big on purpose. One of my first drafts of my mission statement, I talked about leveraging my own ambition. Like that, that was an aspect of my, my mission. And um, I, I'm big on purpose. I, so I love this question about ambition, especially when we think, well, this is part of, how God's made me. So what are those aspects of um, his image that we're bearing? And I believe as an example, again, as a starter, like I, that's one aspect of God's image that I'm bearing. I'm to create, to start. And he is the alpha and the omega. He's the starter and the finisher. Um, but he's made me partly as a starter. So I think my ambition, sometimes um, it can feel like, well, what, what do I do with this? But in scripture, it's not all bad. So there's a number of passages that talk about selfish ambition or ambition that is just made to benefit me. And that is clearly a bad thing. Like if I'm only out to get ahead for myself, it's not good. God, God's not having that. That's a selfish ambition. But there's also ambition, even that Paul talks about. He says, we made it our ambition to um, basically bring the gospel to others and to, um, you know, make the way of Christ known to others. So if that's the ambition, well, that's a very good thing. And so as I've contemplated and looked into this more, I think uh, a couple things that we can say about the ambition that God would have, which is good, which is it's spirit led or originated that it's not just us uh, starting it on our own, but it really is something that the Lord 
is is getting going, that it's advancing his causes. And then the other thing um, that's really key is that it's expanding our view of him. Because I think a lot of times I can ambitiously say, oh, that's a Jonathan-sized problem. Um, or you might say, that's a Josh-sized problem. I can attack that one. But I think the ambitions that God has for us are truly God-sized. They're impossible. And I don't mean impossible in the sense necessarily that it's a feat that uh, just no one can explain, maybe, but it might be something small, but it still feels impossible. And it's something that the Lord is doing. And we, as his co-workers, as his partners, as followers of Christ, we're saying we can't do it without you. And when we invite the Lord into that space, that is an ambition that I believe the Lord is very, very pleased with. Right. Wow. You're making me think. I, I love that, by the way, because I think when he gives vision to us, if we could accomplish it on our own, then it's probably not just from him, right? It's probably something that's in our heart because he always calls us to something that's going to involve us to stretch our faith and challenge us to lean on him because he wants to get rid of that self that we depend on. I love what you write about in your book as well with the whole WWJD thing. You know, I, I have attacked this as well. I, I don't think Jesus invites us into a life of imitation. I, I believe it's participation. But tell mm, me what your thoughts like are that. with that is because, you know, we have guys and and even, you know, even my book, The Standard, you know, it's to encourage men. It's to encourage you guys to to see how Jesus models. There's characteristics. There's things that he does. There's there's who he is that we're called to come up to that higher level, but it's never to send the message that you can do it in your own strength or it's like, hey, just hack this style. And if I do this, then I'll, I'll finally be the man he wants me to be. It's, it's quite different than that. So I'd love to hear your take on it because we do live in a world and even within Christianity where you know people are trying to imitate. And if I just model that or if I just try hard enough within my own strength, then I'll finally attain what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Well, I love that. I think, um, yeah, this whole doing nothing apart from him, I think it's um, not attaining, uh, A-T-T-A-I-N. It's obtaining the life that he's given to us. So uh, it's another way of saying exactly what you said, right? It's about participation, not imitation. Um, I think there's some misinterpretation personally of uh, certain scriptures, one in particular that comes to mind, right? Where Paul talks about like, hey, this way of life that you've seen in me, Im imitate me, right? And so based on our translations there, I think the, the challenge there that we can look at though is we can say, what was Paul's emphasis? Paul's emphasis was not follow this routine and then therefore you will attain unto greatness that the Lord has for you. Like that's not at all what his message was. So I think even what when he says imitate me, well, what, what are we imitating? We're imitating a life that was sold out to saying that it is not by my life that I'm living, but by the life of Jesus that I am living and operating and in real relationship with. So if we're imitating anything, it's a way, it's not a formula. It's again, principles, but not prescription. It's really trusting this idea of asking, 
what is Jesus doing right now? And like you said, we have to be in proximity to him. Well, what is Jesus doing? And I get to do that with him. And I share some stories in the book um, about that. One I'll just share right now that's really impactful to me and to fellow men, I'm sure uh, they'll be able to understand. My daughter, she was younger at the time. She's now um, uh, almost 16 years old, but at the time she was probably about eight years old. And she was in her family room and she was walking towards me and I was putting away the dishes. Now, sometimes, look, granted, kids, they got to do their chores. They got to do their stuff. That's part of being a family uh, in, in, our, um, in our house. But as she was walking towards me, I just had such joy and delight as I saw her walking towards me. And I was putting away dishes. And I said, Riley, would you like to put away dishes with me? And she said, no, thanks. And she just kept walking. And I, I, in my heart though, I wasn't offended or anything like that. I just was so delighted um, when I looked at her and I said, okay, I love you. And she said, I love you. And she wa- went off to the other room to, I don't know, do something. At that moment, I'm putting away dishes. I felt like this just real impression and subtle whisper that the Lord was saying, that's my invitation always. And it's, I'm doing the work. It's going to get done one way or another because I'm doing it, but I'm just inviting you in to do it with me, to spend time with me. If we start looking at the work of God as an invitation from a father who loves to spend time with his children, that is awesome. And it's something that I want to sign up for. That's an incredible story. I love that. That just made everything come to life. And I actually read that in your book this morning. So it was great to hear you say that again, because um, just powerful to know that you're invited to co-labor, to partner and into this life of participation. And, you know, I, I know we both see eye to eye here when Jesus invites men to follow him. It's walk the same road as me you know, live this lifestyle, watch what I do. And you're going to do it. It's a participation. It was a mentorship. And um, that's a little bit lost on us because we're reading an Eastern book with a Western mindset right now. So we lose some of that, but I love the focus on the way of life, the way of Jesus, how he is the way invites us into this new life, this new lifestyle. So as we talk about lifestyle, I want to pick your brain on Jonathan's morning routine. I know I love the principles over prescription, but I still love to get insights into, you know, guys that I look at as high performers, um, guys that are crushing it, um, guys that have gained ground in certain areas of life. Just how do you start your day and where and how do you connect with God the most for you personally? Yeah, I I love that question. I think I can say, first and foremost, I really do operate my life um, by seasons. And so right now, as you know, Josh, my family and I, we are living in South Africa. So my routine looks different here than it does uh, when I'm in Arizona, which is where we spend nine months out of the year. And my wife and I, we, we've committed to over the next uh, number of years while our kids are in high school that we're going to spend our summers in other countries. So I think in each one of those other countries that we're living um, in over the coming years as well, 
the seasons will look different. So I think part of that is, again, asking, what is it I need to start doing, keep doing, and stop doing? But some of the things that I feel like are real game changers for me. One, uh, you mentioned uh, Frank Viola. He he talks about uh, also kind of changing up that routine some, but one that he says never gets old, and I agree with him, is that when I wake up, even if I'm in bed still, um, there are a lot of first things we could do. We could, you know, go to the bathroom right away. We could drink a, a glass of water. We could pick up our phone and look at our emails. But I really just try and call upon or just whisper the name of Jesus. Um, and that is like a great starting point um, to just say Jesus, like to say his name and to to call on him. You know, it talks about like those who know me, <laughs> um, know my voice and we know him. And so like, if we really believe he's with us, he's with us right there in bed. So that's one, one thing I do drink, um, a glass of water. I'll go right out usually, and um, drink a big glass of water. And that also is just kind of a little bit of a health thing, but usually don't even put ice in it. I just start going, um, in certain seasons, I'll start doing push-ups right away. I haven't been doing that as faithfully or rigorously as, um, I have at others, um, but then other times I'll just go into my, when I had my office uh, back in the States at home, I would just go in and I would just spend some minutes, uh, uh, really about like five minutes just in silence and, and prayerfully considering. And then I would uh, turn on some music and, and really kind of start my day there. I would get started pretty quickly because I feel like mornings are just a really the most productive time for me. Um, so those are some of the things that I would do. But I think it's really just, again, this idea of like resting, listening, calling upon the name, simple habits, nothing like I'm not spending an hour and a half in the Bible, you know, first thing in the morning, but I am reading throughout the day. So there's a number of other things like in, that are a part of my routine uh, that have been real staples for me. But that my morning, those are the, the key ones that come to mind for me. Yeah, that's awesome. We have a lot of commonalities there. Um, earlier this year, I was sharing with you, I took uh, a group of guys through something I called um, the Kingdom Driven Man project that we had together where we focused on 40 days of connecting with the Lord in the morning. So a lot of similarities there and did our best to build a toolbox of different approaches. So back to what you said, principle over prescription, because we got to be careful of always making it a formula. Um, but I love that. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, all right. So I, let's let's go to where we started. The whole concept of do nothing. And I want to be really clear for the guys listening. It's not about not doing anything. It's about we cannot do anything apart from Jesus. And you gave us this really vivid picture. You do it in the book as well, that Jesus is walking through a vineyard and we see this principle of abiding and being connected to the vine, being connected to that life-giving source. And we're not living in our own life. We're living from the life within the source of the vine. But we also know within that same chapter in John 15, that there are seasons of pruning and there are seasons of the, the goal of being connected is fruit. And Jesus actually says it pleases the father to bear much fruit. So it's not, don't do anything. It's you will, if you do this, 
you will bring, let's, you know, let's switch out fruit for results. You will deliver massive results for the kingdom, right? You will give my father an inheritance and likewise, you'll get an inheritance. So it's all interconnected there. Um, but we do know his goal is fruit. His goal is results. But why and how, tell me more about these seasons, because we didn't talk about the tough part. You know, sometimes to bear fruit, he cuts back. So I'd just like to hear your thoughts on a pruning process in our lives and how God uses that. Wow, that's a great question. And I think similarly to the question you asked earlier, just about, you know, what was some of the birthplace of this for me? I can look at and say, okay, well, in that season, I I felt like it was really a sabbatical period, like the Lord just saying, hey, you get to rest. Like, I don't you don't even get a choice in this matter. Like this is what's going to happen. And it was through some hardship and adversity in the beginning, but then really a prolonged season of rest. And I started getting antsy. I started actually feeling like, well, I got to get back to it. Right. I have to keep moving forward. And yet the Lord really was saying, no, like that's, that's not what the season is about. Like if we believe that God is going to complete the work and that he has perfect timing, um, you know, the problem oftentimes isn't, well, is he doing something while we're waiting, right? A lot of times things are happening beneath the surface. We can't see it with physical eyes, but there's something spiritual that's happening. There's something that he's producing seeds to your point about this idea of fruit don't grow overnight that doesn't happen and so god works while we wait and he is always at work and if we trust that the one who planted those seeds and if we believe that the very life source of that fruit is within us even when we can't see the fruit made manifest yet it doesn't mean that life is not flowing and that work is not being done. And yes, there are sometimes some dead branches and some stuff in our life that has to get cut out. I talk in the book about um, in Hebrews when it says that we need to set aside every weight and encumbrance. That's a huge thing. You know, we often talk about just the sin. It says set aside, you know, sin and weight. And I love that it distinguishes those because I think there's plenty in our life that, yes, the Lord wants to come uh, cut back and bring freedom from. But also there's a lot of stuff in our life that he's inviting us to just look at and say, I have to get rid of that because it's not helping me move forward more quickly. It's not helping me produce fruit. And that's what he wants to do. And I'll actually end with this. When you talk about fruit in particular, One of the things that Jesus says in that John 15 passage, which I love, is he says, I say these things in order that you might have my joy and that your joy might be made full. He wants us to have fullness of joy. That is why he's speaking these things. It's not to hold us back or just tell us you can't do it. It's so that we might have more joy in our life. And I don't know about you. But I want a lot more joy. I do know about you. You want a ton of joy. And that is a good thing. We should all want the joy that only Jesus can bring. Um, Guys, if you're listening, you know, here's my biggest takeaway from that. I just want to encourage the listeners because you might find yourself in a place where you feel you've been waiting forever. 
and you're like, Hey, I'm in this process. What am I going to get out of it? And I loved how you said, you know, even though you're waiting, you're still growing. And we're just, some of us are want to get into that season so fast, but there's a reason the Lord has you where you are right now. And if you cooperate, and if you learn to partner with him, he'll release you into the fullness of what you're called to do at that right time. So it's just really encouraging to hear you share this. Um, you shared a story earlier. You know, you're talking about Watchman Nee. I've heard a story um, very recently. I was just listening to something. And uh, the, the teacher I was listening to was repeating a story about a Chinese Christian who came to America. And they visited the churches and they saw... They saw everything that we had here. And they asked the person at the end, this older Chinese gentleman, they said, so what do you think? What do you think? I don't know if you know this. You might've heard it. And he said, it's amazing what you have built and how much you do without God. And the takeaway for me was like, wow, we can build apart from him in our own self-will, with our own agency, with our own discipline and desire and ambition, we can build something. And the thing that I heard you say in the last you know, segment, as we just talked about this, with putting away the things that easily beset us, they're not all sins. So they can be good things as well. And that's the yeah. scariest part because all of our works are going to be tested and tried through the fire. And Anything that's wood, hay, or stubble is going to burn. But the crazy thing is, and I've said this multiple times on this show in the past, is that you can still build with wood. It's not that you can't build anything. Yeah. You can build something. It just won't <laughs> last. Yeah, that's right. It's harder to build with hay and stubble, I would imagine, but the birds do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you're absolutely that's a good point. right. There's plenty of stuff built with uh, wood. I could even talk at length, and I'm sure uh, Josh, you could as well. Talking about brick, you know, I think there's like this spiritual picture even in Babel, um, and I, I talk about that actually right at the beginning of the book as these self-made towers. We're so interested in what it is that we can build and what we can do, and yes, we we confuse, we mistake our agency that God has given us with then believing that, well, we, we just, uh, keep moving forward or, you know, even this question of what can I do apart from Jesus? we start thinking, well, I must do something or nothing without Jesus. I should do nothing without Jesus. When he's saying, no, you can't do anything. Even the agency I gave you is what's made that possible. So why is it that you would go about doing anything that's not going to bear fruit, um, without me? Wow. So awesome, Jonathan. Well, I want to tell the listeners where to get the book. I want you to give us, um, you know, your, your last admonition for us as you sum up this conversation and we talk about do nothing. What's the last message you want our listeners to take away? And we're going to drop all the links below so everyone can go get the book, do nothing. I highly recommend it. But Jonathan, bring us home with your, your final thought about this conversation. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to thank you again. Just it's so good talking with a, a like-hearted brother um, in these regards. And I hope uh, it's encouraged um, others out there. I would just encourage everyone, again, it being about principles, not prescription, just ask the Lord, what's that, what's that next thing? And uh, I look forward to hearing the testimonies of how the Lord is working and operating and living his life through others. That 
is the invitation to all of us. Um, anyone can uh, learn more about the book and uh, get a copy at ICanDoNothing.com. Uh, and if you want to connect with me, there's tons of ways to do that on the website. There's some bonuses for those who purchase the book uh, for a limited time and really looking forward to hearing how um, Jesus continues to, to do something um, because this book is definitely not about what I've done. Um, it's all about what he's done. And for that, I'm grateful. Awesome, man. Hey, I really enjoyed this conversation. It brought so much value. So guys, get the book, Do Nothing. I highly recommend it. We will drop all the links below so you can get the book, you can get the bonuses, you can connect with Jonathan. And until the next episode, let's raise the standard. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If what you heard here today resonated with you and you want to fully step in to be the man that God created and called you to be, then I want to give you a free guide. It's called The Map, and you can get it at standard59.com. In The Map, I will give you 12 biblical strategies that every kingdom man pursuing biblical masculinity must honor. If you're ready to step off the sidelines and pursue the upward call, then get the map today at standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Hey, if there's a brother in your life that needs to hear this message, then share this show with them. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps get the message out there to more men. Until the next show, guys, let's raise the standard.